This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, as we await uh, yet another... I want to call it a winter storm but for the uh, province, uh, the island portion of the province anyway. Uh, it's going to be more of that rain wind stuff that we've been seeing as of late. Anyway, uh, do stay safe, uh, hunker down and uh, and prepare yourself as best you can. Well, I want to start the show this afternoon by thanking Richard Duggan for stepping in yesterday. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Ricky. As you heard yesterday, of course, was Bell Let's Talk Day, a time set aside to discuss mental health and wellness and try to remove some of the barriers and stigma associated with mental illness and mental wellness. St. John Ambulance has been providing virtual mental health training to employers through a mental health and wellness for the workplace course. Well, Ron Sullivan is a mental health first aid instructor with St. John Ambulance and he joins me now. Hello. Hello, Linda. How are you? Great. So what is a mental health first aid instructor? What is a mental health first aid instructor? Well, I I guess what we do in a similar vein as we do with physical first aid. With physical first aid, uh, we we train you to be able to respond immediately, to be able to assist a person until such time as paramedics arrive on the scene or such times that person is capable of maneuvering on their own. Well, along the same vein, often people are having a very difficult time there's they may have some trauma or crisis that they're dealing with uh, they're having a very difficult time managing how they're feeling so professional help isn't always on hand so what we can do is we can provide some support to a person who's going through a very difficult time and we can also help them access resources that would be available in the community as well so how do you recognize the need for mental health first aid? Because, and, and I'm sure we're going to explore this a lot more in the, in the coming hour, but um, if you scrape your knee, for instance, and you're bleeding, you need to clean up the wound, put on a bandage, or if you've uh, fallen and the injury to your leg is a little more serious, you need somebody to help you up and get the leg stabilized and that sort of thing until somebody comes to do further treatment on it. But how do you recognize those instances where first aid is required for mental Mental health. Well, you know, you, you have to remember that uh, mental health issues, mental health symptoms or disorders affect the way that people think. It affects the way that you feel or express your emotions and ultimately impacts your behavior. So you will see some things. You'll see some changes in that person. You'll, you'll see changes in their motivation and changes in their appearance sometimes, changes in their sociability. Um, And these are things that we pick up on that are because we know the person fairly well. So when we have these behaviors that deviate from what we normally would expect from that individual, then we have to make that decision. Are we going to approach that person and ask them if they're having a difficult time? And is there something that we can do to help them manage how they're feeling? Uh, Keep in mind that most people who are living with mental health issues don't seek professional help. So they try and... They try and deal with it on their own, and a large part of that is because of the stigma that's associated with it. Um, And so we need to to take the initiative here. So rather than wait for a person to come to us, if we see those changes, 
then we need to approach them or we should approach them. Uh, and just, you know, from one community member to another community member, what can I do to help you through a difficult time? Um, that might be uh, um, the case for some people who are struggling, know they're struggling, but um, what if the person themselves doesn't recognize an issue? Uh, I think that's one of the fears that people have when they're approaching someone is that what if this person lashes out at me? Their self-awareness might not be the same as mine. You know, the thing is, uh, the way I always kind of address that particular topic is if I have a genuine desire to help somebody, I don't know how it can go wrong. So if somebody truly feels that you 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 really genuinely want to help them, um, I, when I say how can it go wrong, I'm, I'm not saying that that person is going to open up and share with you how they're feeling because that will only happen if it's the right time, the right place. So what I do is I plant the seed. They may not be ready to disclose how they're feeling, but I'm pretty confident when I say that most people who are dealing with mental health issues and trauma in their life, they want to be able to share that with people. They don't want to carry that burden on themselves. Because you know, in the course of your lifetime, sometimes when you shared something with an individual, you're going through a very difficult time. If that person was extremely empathetic and compassionate and validated how you were feeling, that in itself was often therapeutic. So what I do is I just do what I, what I think that I should be doing to be able to help another individual that I see that may be struggling and going through a very difficult time. Again, I need to reiterate that most people will not seek professional help because of the stigma that's associated with that. So they often try and manage this on their own, and um, a lot of times it just doesn't get better because they're not really sure how to go about it effectively. Does there need to be a certain level of familiarity or trust there? Or is it better perhaps for somebody who is more of a casual observer to make that move, if you will? You know, it's going to be, it's really an individual thing. It's what you're comfortable with as a first aider as well. And, you know, if you know somebody very, very well, then you, you will notice those slight changes in their behavior that you've become accustomed to. If you don't know a person very well, you might not pick up on those subtle changes. In the early stages, they are subtle, but you know, as the mental health issues start to develop, um, you will start to see the symptoms become more obvious. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about those symptoms and how to recognize them when we come back after the break. Our, our guest today on On Target is Ron Sullivan, a mental health first aid instructor with St. John Ambulance. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our guest today is Ron Sullivan. He's a mental health first aid instructor with St. John Ambulance, and we're talking about uh, ways to support mental health and wellness in the workplace and how to recognize um, when a coworker in particular or someone that uh, you uh, works for you um, is not doing well. So how, how do you know the difference between, let's say, for instance, an off day, uh, you know, you... you 
I don't know, you had a little uh, problem with your car and now you're into insurance and that sort of thing, which is going to stress anybody out for a short period of time, and something a little more significant. Yeah, well, you know, with, with the those short-term events that occur on a on a you know a fairly frequent basis, the change in behavior is, is only for a very short period of time. And sometimes you may go over, depending on your relationship with that individual. You know, is everything okay? And uh, is there anything that I can do? And then, but the next time you see them, the next day, the next day or two, everything's back to normal. Uh, they're normal. But with mental health issues, what happens is, is generally you will start to see this trend and this condition will start to deteriorate over time. And sometimes initially, uh, in the beginning, there may be very subtle things. Um, sometimes people are trying to mask how they're feeling. So on the outside, it looks like everything is okay. But on the inside, there's a tremendous amount of turmoil that's going on there. And... You know, you can only keep that up for so long. The, this this armor starts to crack over periods of time uh, because mental health issues are absolutely crippling and they can bring people to their knees. Um, an inability to concentrate on anything, an inability to sleep. And if you can't sleep, it compounds everything else that's going on in your life. People become angry, be, they become irritable, become moody. They start to withdraw socially. Uh, when you're dealing in the workplace, there's less engagement in the workplace. So productivity starts to dip. People don't show up for work. They take more time off. Or if they do show up for work, uh, they're not really doing anything while they're there because there's an inability to really uh, concentrate on detail. So it, it tremendously affects the cognitive abilities and the ability for them to express their emotions appropriately for that particular situation. So. You know, over time, over time, you start, they start to become more noticeable. And, and we kind of relate four different phases or four different stages, if you will, of, of your mental health. And, you know, the first one is resiliency. So resiliency is, is really where you have this good balance in your life and you're content for the most part. Uh, I like to say it's, it's I'm happy, things are going well. Um, I'm able to deal with most of the challenges that life throws at me in the run of the day. I have a good social life. Uh, it's really where we want to be. And you have to remember that you have to work hard to be in that resiliency stage. If you're there now, you can't rest on your laurels. There's so many things that we can do, A, that in some cases I strongly believe that we can prevent mental health issues from developing, in some cases, not in all cases. But in most cases, we can learn to mitigate it much more effectively. So self-care is, is um, a huge benefit, but it's knowing what we, what we have to do in order for that to happen. But as we, start to, as we start to slip out of the resiliency stage, which is the stage that we want to be in, the next stage that we, we refer to is the struggling stage. And this is where the symptoms are a little bit more subtle. They're just starting to surface. So some people might not notice them. But it could be some absences, it could be some irritability, some fatigue. Um, again, not as engaged in work as you used to be, not as sociable at work as you used to be. You're not going for a coffee with the gang anymore. And, and you're, you're just struggling to keep this work-life balance. But it's like, a, it's like a windstorm, a tree. When it bends, it doesn't break. So generally speaking, in the struggling stage, the person still has the ability and, and the sense that they're going to be okay. 
But if they if they don't start doing something productive to take care of their health here, then we may go down to what we call the worrisome stage. And this is really now where the the symptoms start to surface. They become much more visible. Uh, you become emotionally withdrawn. There's often feelings of hopelessness. There's helplessness, a very low activity level. People's um, physical and mental health are being impacted. So there's they often feel sick. Um, they may be using substances, alcohol or substances, to help them get through the day, to help them sleep at night. They become, you know, agitated easily. There's just less tolerant. There's more negativity that you will notice in the person. And sometimes it even affects their appearance. And then the last stage How is... How do you mean it affects their appearance? Sometimes they have an unkept appearance. So not taking so care example, of themselves, in other words. Like. They're, yeah, they're just not taking care of themselves. You, you just Sometimes the clothes might be unkept or they may not shave or they just may not... Um, they just not may, may not appear to be as neat as they used to be. And it's different for everyone. And the, and the last stage is the stage that we call the distress stage. And this is really where professional help is necessary. And the person is really unhealthy. We consider to be unhealthy in both a mentally and a physical state. Um, easily frustrated, angry outbursts, a don't care attitude, sometimes feelings of of suicidality. Uh, sometimes the person is dealing with addictions. Lots of work absences, lots of um, disengagement in work, and so there's a there's this deterioration of all of those characteristics in an individual that starts to be you know if the person doesn't deal effectively with it, and this is what happens over time. So that's the, the, the worst-case scenario, I suppose. Once a person gets to that stage, it's, it's very clear that uh, something is terribly, terribly wrong. But you want to try and catch this when the first sort of signs start showing. Keep in mind, too, you know, there are so many people in our society right now that are living with mental health issues. And, uh, you know, the, certainly the pandemic has highlighted that. But if you look at stats, and I, and I think the stats that we hear about for example, they'll tell you that 20% of people in Canada will have a mental disorder or mental illness, which is a diagnosis. You're talking about one in five, but this is highly speculative because we know the majority of people don't seek professional help. So we, we just know that there's a tremendous amount of people that are, that are struggling right now. So, you know, we need to be more compassionate. We need to we need to be from one community member to another, do what we can to help each other. And if if we kind of focus on the workplace here, which is what this course is really designed for, it's understanding that we want to create this psychologically safe work environment. And what I mean by that is that, you know, you want to have everyone, all your colleagues looking out for each other. Because a psychological safe workplace is everybody's responsibility in that workplace. It's not just the managers and the supervisors. It's everyone taking care of everyone else. So if somebody is struggling in the workplace, it's being able to recognize the symptoms and just being able to approach that person with this desire to genuinely help them. And I always say that if you ever approach somebody and you have this desire to help them, I don't know how it can go wrong. It doesn't mean that the person is going to open up and share exactly how they're feeling, 
uh, because they won't do that until they're ready. And, and look, you don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. If you share something with me uh, that's very painful, you know, I may just say something along the lines, well, I'm really glad you told me that. I'm, I don't really know what to do, but you know what? Together, we're going to figure out what we need to do here. So I always say, if a person is struggling and they allow me to help them, how about we do this rather than me putting it back onto your shoulders again? Well, you know, I, I encourage you to talk to your doctor. I encourage you to do this. How about we do this? How about we go to your doctor together? Or how about we check out, um, you know, some, some websites? Or how about we do this? So it, it helps that person feel like they're being supported, which is really what they need. Um, and, and it's very hard for people to reach out sometimes and ask for help. Because as individuals, we're, we happen to be very judgmental, and nobody wants to be judged or nobody wants to have someone think that they're not as valuable or as useful as someone else. So people struggle, and therefore we're just doing what we can to help each other in society. We need to be more compassionate. We need to be more empathetic. Governments can't legislate ethics and values, so it has to be we have to be agents of socialization ourselves by just being able to be there for someone. But it's recognizing when someone is struggling. And sometimes those symptoms, you know, they're, they're very subtle. And, and sometimes people are trying to reach out and tell us something and we're dismissing them or we're, we're trivializing it or we're taking the emphasis off them and putting it on us. So it's, Listening is a, is a very important part of the communication process. Um, so we need to observe, we need to listen, and we need to be there for, you know, for our colleagues and for our friends and our families. Some people are more open um, and, um, you know, willing to have people even reach out and say, hey, you, you okay today or what? Um, some people are good with that. Some people are a little more private. Uh, some people might say, you know, I really don't need people knowing that I have developed this little problem I have with drugs or that my marriage is breaking down or that uh, uh, mom died 25 years ago and all of a sudden it's hitting me. Some people don't feel comfortable sharing that with others, let alone their co-workers. So I want to ask you about those types of approaches when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is uh, Ron Sullivan, a mental health first aid instructor with St. John Ambulance. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Our guest today on On Target is Ron Sullivan, a mental health first aid instructor with St. John Ambulance and just before the break I asked you about the whole question around privacy. We've all got things in our lives that we're trying to deal with on our own uh, level and there's some things that you know some people might think to themselves this is nobody's business what I'm doing right now or what's what I'm going through I might be struggling with it it might become apparent to others but I don't need to give you my life story. Uh, so how do you how do you approach that? You're right they don't ha they don't have to so all I do is I'm just trying to reach out to be able to provide some assistance to that individual who may be going through a difficult time. You know, despite your best efforts, that person may not open up and share with you. And I understand that 
most people will not do that until it's the right time, the right place, and you're the right person. You might, you might not have all of that in the mix for that to happen. But what I do is I plant a seed. I let them know that I'm a safe person. I'll, you have to remember that as mental health first aiders, we're only trying to provide some support to an individual during a very difficult time. That's the whole intention. And if you can create that safe environment that's built on respect, trust, confidentiality is a big part of that too, non-judgmental, accepting at face value what that person tells you, uh, then you increase the chances that that person will share with you what they really want to share with you, but they're scared because you might feel differently about them. So all we can do is make the effort and as I said, despite your best intentions and your best efforts, that person may not open up and share that with you. Sometimes, uh, especially in a, in a co-worker situation, you might be sitting next to somebody for two or three years, but don't really know them, if you know what I'm saying. You you have a cordial relationship at work, but you haven't really gotten to know them well enough. Sometimes you don't know them well enough personally maybe to approach them, even though you may have noticed some differences, So, or you're fearful of the response they'll give you because you don't know them on that level. Is that something that you hear from people? Yeah, we, we do. You know... If, if you don't feel comfortable, then you, you may actually go to another colleague that has a better relationship with that person and express concerns that way. Or in the workplace, it could even be a supervisor. It depends on the situation. Um, it doesn't have to be face-to-face. We, we tell you that when you, if you decide to approach a person, it doesn't have to be face-to-face. It, it could be telephone. It could be email. It could be a text message. Uh, it could be through a third person. Um, but what we're saying is do something. If you if you truly feel that that person is struggling, do something rather than just turning a blind eye to it. And I, it's, it's really beyond me how that person responds back to me. But all I'm going to do is be able to to demonstrate to them that I just, is there anything that I can help them at this time in their life? Is there something that I can do? to help them deal with this difficult situation. So, you know, I always go back to what I said several times already. If you have a really strong desire to help somebody, I don't know how it can go wrong. You just might not get the results that you hope for. Is there a hesitation or do you hear of people who have a hesitation because they might know the person too well? Um, I... I wouldn't say specifically too well, but it's often a, there's often hesitations for people to approach an individual because they don't know how the person is going to respond to it. As you brought up, you know, there's a fear that the person may lash out at them. Um, so they, they're not really sure how to deal with that. Which would I think would uh, is a is a motivating factor for a lot of people. Uh, you know, uh, I don't necessarily uh, want to get yelled at or jeopardize the relationship I already have with person A, B, C. Um, so, how do you how do you just let them know that hey, I'm here without being too heavy-handed about it? Well, you can do that. And remember, when people if if people lash out at you, you you have to remember. Uh, one of the things that I said that 
symptoms of a lot of mental health issues happen to be anger and irritability and moodiness. Uh, And that's because in many situations, people have not been able to sleep, not only for days, but weeks on end. They haven't been able to concentrate on anything. Attention to detail goes right out the window. It makes it makes living and doing all the things that they do on a regular basis extremely challenging and difficult. And often people have this sense of hopelessness and despair and doom and negativity that has developed over a period of time. So a lot of those are symptoms of the the illness that they may be dealing with. So, you know, again, I, I just may, you know, may approach them, is everything okay? If there's anything that I can do, just let me know. I'm always here. But I, I'd check in on that, check in periodically with that person. Is, is planting the seed as well? Uh, because I'm pretty confident that people do want to open up and share, and people want to be able to to learn to manage how they're feeling. But, you know, the stigma, is, it's such a barrier for so many people. But you know, I, I like to equate this to the Berlin Wall. Brick by brick, that Berlin Wall came down. And with increased mental health literacy and education and knowledge, people are understanding that mental health issues are true medical conditions, just like physical illnesses and diseases are. It's just that we don't understand them as well. We don't know the root causes of mental health issues. But we're really good at treating the symptoms. We're, we're really good at helping people take back control of their life. And that's the message that we want to send out. And we've come a long way, come a long ways in the last, you know, 20 to 30 years. I want to talk to you about that now coming up in the next little while. But is there a point uh, when, um, let's say, for instance, you're in a tight group of people in a department um, and you're aware of something going uh, very wrong with one of your coworkers? Uh, You've reached out a couple of times just to see where things are. At what point, if at any, should you make your employer aware? Well, you know, definitely if if there's any danger of of that person uh, causing harm to that person, then um, definitely that that would have to be an intervention there. And you have to remember that in the workplace, it's it's extremely important to, to make sure that everyone is free from any type of a hazard. And a lot of times if you work in a safety sensitive environment, for example, um, people that are living with mental health issues or substance dependency, they're often cannot pay attention to detail. And it may cause some, some, some accidents to occur in the workplace, which could jeopardize their health or someone else's health. So, I mean, it becomes paramount in those situations that you need to go well uh, beyond that and, and go to a supervisor to make an intervention. But, um, you know, it's a judgment call. If you're not really comfortable, go to, you know, I always suggest go to someone in the workplace that has a better relationship and then share your concerns. Uh, And it may eventually have to go to a supervisor. 
And what if the person that you're concerned about happens to be your superior, so to speak? Uh, if it is your supervisor who is taking a lot of this on? Uh, we've had conversations in the past from uh, employers who have said, you know, the, the number of uh, people who are dealing with mental illness in the workplace or mental health problems in the workplace happen to be the ones who are taking the burden of all of these issues and problems, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so what if the person happens to be someone that, uh, you know, is your supervisor? Is it, a, it, you know, is that dynamic a little more difficult to approach? Well, I think it's from a psychological perspective, I think it does impact the, the person more, but it still, it, it still has to be done. You know, it still has to be addressed in the workplace, but because it's a supervisor and the difference in authority, I think, would probably make people feel uncomfortable. But, I mean, it still it still has to be addressed in the workplace. Keep in mind that, look, one of the things that I've already stated is that creating that psychologically safe work environment is everybody's responsibility. It's not just managers and supervisors. It's frontline workers. It's everybody that has to take that responsibility in the workplace. When we come back after the break, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, workplaces in general, how they're doing in terms of um, providing the supports and, and having the awareness um, surrounding mental health, how that compares uh, to the past, and, um, and what kind of an impact it has on um, work, the workplace as a whole. When we come back after the break, our guest today on On Target is Ron Sullivan, a mental health first aid instructor with St. John Ambulance. We'll be back right after this. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Today on On Target is Ron Sullivan, a mental health first aid instructor with St. John Ambulance. And uh, Ron, are workplaces doing better with providing supports for mental health? I think some definitely are, most definitely. And I will tell you that, you know, really good organizations, they recognize that their, their most important resource are their people. And they'll, they'll often tell you it's hard to get people into an organization today, and it's even harder to keep them. So it's certainly in their best interest to, you know, satisfy whatever it is that that individual is looking for. But, you know, treating them with respect, listening to their, to their viewpoints and their feedback, have this open-door policy, recognizing the contributions that the employees make, accommodating them where they can. What we found is that, you know, organizations that support their employees who are going through very difficult times, uh, you know, specifically with mental health issues and other um, similar issues, when the people are able to come back to work, there's often this renewed sense of loyalty to that organization because uh, they stood with them through a difficult time and supported them through that. So, you know, good organizations invest in their people who in turn reinvest back in that company. So it really is a win-win situation. The Canadian Mental Health Association, and you referenced this um, very early in the show, says one in five Canadians will have a mental illness this year, and 44% of workers say they have or have had mental health issues or mental illness. That's nearly half. What does that say? Yeah, it's, you, you know, the World Health Organization in 2019 said that the leading cause of disability worldwide is depression and 70% of people living with depression are in the workplace. 
So there's no doubt that in every workplace in Canada, there are people that are living with depression. And depression and anxiety just happen to be more the more common mental health issues that exist in our society. But, you know, there's a whole host of other ones as well, but they just happen to be the most common that exists. So whether you're dealing with symptoms or a disorder, a disorder is a clinical diagnosis. Uh, symptoms are, you know, you don't have enough to be diagnosed, but you're still dealing with symptoms of that particular disorder. So it, it's, it's prevalent. It's prevalent in the workplace. It's prevalent in our society. Um, and so self-care becomes so important in all of this. Is the incidence of uh, mental illness going up or is it uh, simply um, a reflection of uh, greater awareness and, and a greater ability for people to say, hey, you know what, I'm not doing that good? Yeah, you know, that's a great debate. Certainly people will often say, you know, there seems to be a lot more people that are living with mental health issues or are we just better at recognizing and diagnosing it than we were in the past or are people just more... Um, they feel better talking about it today because we're he- we're a heck of a lot more of a tolerant society than than we were a number of years ago. So it, it's really hard to say, but I, I I will say that I truly believe that life is more complicated today than it was 40 or 50 years ago or 30 or 40 years ago, and I think that our younger people today are facing more challenges than maybe in the past. So it's really hard to say. I think you'll probably get varying opinions on that one. Are there certain type of uh, workplace issues that can lead to added stress or burnout? Most definitely. Workload issues are one. Um, Deadlines uh, are, are another. Discrimination in the workplace, bullying in the workplace, um, not good relationships between supervisors and frontline people, no open door policies, people who don't get recognized for their contributions, organizations that don't really value their their human resources to the extent that they should. Certain professions more prone than others? I mean, some workplaces are, by their very nature, more, I guess, high energy or, or more stressful or, or, you know, the, uh, the stakes are higher, if you will. Uh, so are there certain professions that are more prone than others? Yeah, yeah I think so. D- definitely a lot of your, your um, first responder professions, law enforcement, you know, firefighter, paramedics. Uh, but, you know, certainly construction, too, there's there's a lot of um, high stress, especially in really um, work sites that have a lot of things going on. But any, any kind of work site where there's pressure to perform, um, where we're not really considering the impact that the workload is having on the employee, uh, the stress is, is really... The, the stress is, triggers mental health issues. It doesn't cause them, but it triggers them. So we have to be aware of the stressors that are in our lives, how we're being impacted. And then we have to, to kind of to, to reduce the stress as much as we can, but we need to have really effective coping mechanisms to deal with stress. That's the other issue. 
Uh, is part of it, uh, you know, the, your own level of uh, control over the circumstances around you? I know there's some professions you don't have that control. Like you say, now emergency response is particularly uh, like that. But uh, uh, for a workplace that uh, might be a little more mundane, so to speak, but you don't feel like you have control over your circumstances. You don't feel like you have control over your workload. You don't feel like you have control over your um, income, um, your days off, those kinds of things. Does that help your mental uh, uh, wellness if you have a better sense of, you know what, uh, I need to take Friday off because of these reasons, and you have that ability to go to your supervisor and say, I need that day? Yeah, I think it does, yeah. And it's going to be different for, for everybody. But companies and organizations, you know, certainly have to be a lot more flexible than they used to be. So I think if you have some control over, you know, a lot of the things in the workplace, it does reduce the stress significantly. You mentioned self-care earlier. What does it look like? Self-care really is you kind of taking care of yourself. So from a physical perspective, you know, Physical activity is one of the very best things that you can do. Not only does it help you physically, but it helps you mentally as well. You need to, you know, you need to eat the proper foods. The World Health Organization has said that the leading, that the single most important determinant of health overall is the food that we eat. Getting enough sleep. So those are basic things. But from a mental perspective, is being able to relax being able to, you know, kind of indulge in, in hobbies, things that you enjoy doing, mindfulness, learning how to breathe effectively. So it's just finding some relaxational things that you can do just to kind of let your hair down a little bit and just take the weight off your shoulders. But you need to do this on a continual basis. And if you do this, it kind of keeps you in the resiliency stage longer or it gets you back there faster. And that's the stage of mental health where we feel that we're in control of everything. So you're a mental health first aid instructor. Uh, how many workplaces have made use of your services? Uh, it's really hard to say. Uh, there's, a, there's a few of us that do it, so I, I can't really give you a number, to be honest with you. Administrative staff at St. John Ambulance would be able to provide that information for you. Is it, is it increasing, though? Have you noticed you know, more people coming to you? It's, um, I, I think because when we, when we started the course, it was really at the beginning of the pandemic. So even though the course was going to start with a bang, I think that pandemic slowed it down dramatically. But, um, you, you know, we're, we're starting to see a little bit of an increase. So hopefully we get more organizations that call us so that we can provide this training for them. Yeah, because it doesn't go away just because uh, things appear to be easing somewhat, and I say that with great caution, um, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that the issues go away. No, that's correct. That's right. Uh, so how do people get in touch? Well, they can call uh, 726-4200, which is the main number. You can go online as well at www.sja.ca or you can call 726-4200 and you can register that way as well. And how long do these courses typically take? Uh, the course is only a day, so it's really designed just for one day. And you find people afterwards uh, telling you, you know, wow, this is really helpful. It's some of it I knew, some of it I definitely didn't know, but it, it's given me a new perspective. Exactly. 
we get a lot of really And you appear to be muffled. <laughs> uh, Ron, you've gone away there. You're way in the distance. Hello? Hello? Yes, you're much better now. Yes. Yeah, so I said, do, do you have people coming to you saying, I found this helpful? Yes, we do. We actually have a lot of people, um, you know, they call it eye-opening. There's a lot of really valuable information that they could use in the workplace. And, uh, Ron, we have about two minutes left. Any final thoughts? Well, you know, all I say is that the training that we provide also helps people in their own personal lives as well. So even though it's focused on the workplace, what you take away from this course really can enhance your own personal life, but you're able to provide support to not only your family and your friends as well. So I I think, you know, because we focus on the self-care in this one as well, and even though we don't get into the individual mental health issues, we talk about symptoms and how to recognize them and how to approach people. So I think it's extremely beneficial, you know, for everybody. Ron Sullivan, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Ron Sullivan, of course, a mental health first aid instructor with St. John Ambulance. uh, And uh, for employers interested in partaking of the uh, single-day course, the number to do so is 726-4200, or you can find them online at uh, sja.ca, that's St. John Ambulance, uh, if you just use the old Google box, (laughs) the Google machine. Uh, Really appreciate your time this afternoon. Ron, all the best to you. Thank you very much. Take care. Alrighty. Uh, And we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone.